Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome off the post. I'm Russ Cohen. We've got Anthony Mangione. And how are you? Morning, Russell. How are you? Ah, you know, Sunday morning always takes a little while for the brain to start working, but I know there's plenty of punchline there. And Michael Jello, <laughs> Mike? Uh, I hate turkey and stuffing. I just have like a turkey omelet, so shut up. No, I mean, uh, I've, I still I've have... had turkey overload. It's like I have too much turkey, then turkey sandwich, then turkey yeah, yeah. king. We're all in that same boat. You've got to figure out different ways of making it. And we have a special guest on. Jason Murchitis, I'm not going to, hopefully I said it right, I'm not going to butcher his name. Even though I do a show with him, I never have to say his name. But I hear so many people butchering it. Jace, how are you? Well, I usually always say my name. Thank goodness. You actually had it right. So you can start saying it from now on. I don't want to. I just made sure I got it right. Okay. All right. So you get the first question. I want to mention something. I, when I do games, I go to both locker rooms. I'm one of the the rare guys, so I didn't see Matt Niskanen with the blood dripping down and the, and the plugged-up nose. But back in the day, and this is going to be a, a little while ago, some of you guys may know the player, you may not, with the Rangers, like my first, second year covering, Jeff Toms got a, uh, a rare hat trick, probably the only one of his career. He wasn't a scorer, but we sort of liked him on a bad team, like even the reporters. So we made sure he came out, and because he got cracked in the nose right before the end of the game, his nose was just bleeding profusely into a towel. And, and at that time, I said, you'll never, ever see that again. And, Jay, they, Matt Niskanen pretty much did that. I, I thought the quote was awesome, though, because somebody asked him, they said, you know, does it hurt? He goes, oh, not really. It was just a little slice. <laughs> yeah, a little slice of your face. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Um, yeah. And, and this world of, you know, of load management with the NBA and hanging and, you know, players taking off of games and pitch counts. It's still refreshing to know that hockey has not evolved with all of those other sports, and it's still as prehistoric as every other <laughs> hockey team ever, that it doesn't matter whether you get 15 stitches in a slice in your face or nine teeth knocked out, they're still coming back to play the third in a meaningless regular season game. So that hasn't changed. Jay, stay, st- staying with Niskanen, um, just looking at his overall wor- you know, body of work so far this season through two months, what have been your impressions of him, What the impact that he's had uh, on the Flyers' blue line uh, so far this year? Um, and he's clearly had an impact not just on the entire blue line as a collective for being the pro that he is and a guy that came in that has won uh, in this league. And, you know, he's the guy that came, he came in – you know, to be the, the sage veteran and be that calming presence. And he's been that on just about everybody, but take it a step further and look what he's done for a guy like Ivan Provorov. And, and, and he seems to have really kind of taught him the mental preparation side of the game. Nobody ever questioned Provorov's, you know, his stamina or, you know, those elements of his game. 
but sometimes it seems like he had mental lapses in games. And it's not to say that he hasn't had that a couple times this year because he has, and he still is a young defenseman. But when you look at the overall package of Proveroff, and, and yesterday was a case in point, the fact that, you know, they're playing three games in four days and everybody on that team is shot. They're just tired, except for your most well-conditioned athlete who goes out and wins it for you in overtime, and that's type of Proveroff. Mike, before I let you ask your question, I, I looked it up. For people who don't know Jeff Thomas, he had 22 career goals in 0102 with the Rangers. The year I'm talking about, he had seven. That was his that was his career high. So that that was a big game for him. But anyhow, Mike, go ahead. Jason, um, Russ and I, in our many discussions on this show and on the Buzzcast last year, were sort of against. <laughs> going to Carter Hart as heavy as the Flyers did in the, in the second half of the season, even though he played great and thought that the ramifications of that might occur down the line. He hasn't been the guy who I – hasn't played to the level that he played in his rookie season this year, and Elliott has gotten more of a, a heavy workload. Do you think that's attributable to him playing so often as a rookie and now the pressure is on for him to be – like the next carry price, which a lot of people are comparing him to. Well, I, in November, you can make the case that he has played as well as he did last year. Um, but mm-hmm. overall, yeah, I agree with the fact that he hasn't been as as statistically as good. Um, although I think at points he's been just as good from his from his game's performance. But that being said, yeah, I, you know, Russ and I talked about this, and I was very vocal about. You know, when choosing the person or the the goaltender to be in this tandem with with um, Carter Hart, you had to you had to pick the right guy, and you had to check a couple of boxes for me. One, you know, a lot of a lot of people in the fan base they wanted Anthony Solars, which I thought was completely idiotic because you can't have two young goaltenders and and you can't have another guy that you can't rely on health wise. And there, okay, so there's the big question mark when it came to Brian Elliott: Could you rely on his health? And what they saw at the end of last year in Chuck Fletcher and, you know, and Blint Flair was they saw a guy that was healthy and that could go into the offseason and train and not rehab. And for, I mean, just about every position in sports, that's a big factor in your performance that year. But for a goalie in particular and one that dealt with core issues, you know, I talked to, to Elliot quite a bit, and one of the, the things that he mentioned to me when he would struggle and it wasn't just him mentioning it at the time of his struggle, because that just happened to be the time when I asked, was breaking down scar tissue from core surgeries. For a goaltender, that's very difficult to deal with while you're playing. So I think that both of them have been very good. Clearly, they've been great in the month of November. Um, but I think it's just a good tandem. I think it's the right tandem to have, because I thought that Elliot was the right guy to transition into that role that not a lot of guys who were former starters and successful starters are, can do mentally. And that's kind of take a backseat to a younger guy. Now, if you can do it, you can make a really good amount of money for a really long time. If you can't do it, like Steve Mason, you find yourself working at 7-Eleven pouring Slurpees, which is what he's doing. <laughs> hey, Abu, Abu would take, take offense to that. And on the Stick to Hockey podcast, I don't like to say Jason's right very often, but he was right on this one. Anyhow, um, Jason, Justin Braun, he had been gently falling off a cliff 
with the San Jose Sharks. And even though we got a goal the other day, and for some reason the Flyers beat writers were kind of shocked that Flyers fans weren't like more, I don't know, giving him a better reception for it. It's like he hasn't played well. I don't blame him. Like this is one where they do have a better team this year, but you worry about like when you're at game 70, what are we going to see out of Justin Braun? Where is he going to be on this team? And they don't really have any more antidotes. They have some guys down in Hershey who could fill in with spot duty. You know, Walensky just got like two overtime game-winning goals, but, you know, he's only a spot guy. Same with Bigra. Like, I don't know if he's going to get any better this year. As a matter of fact, he's got double the amount of takeaways, uh, giveaways than takeaways. Yeah, he's not the most Selena Foot guy. Um, <laughs> it, look, I think – they brought. I, I like the intention that they brought him in for. I didn't like mm-hmm. the price. A second and third is a little bit too much. But the intention I get, right shot, another veteran guy, and you need to add veterans to this lineup. And you're right, Russ, you're totally right, because he's not all of a sudden going to find the fountain of youth in game 65 and then be able to you know, go 65 and beyond into a playoff and all of a sudden be better. Um, but you're stuck with him because you can't bring a young player into that mix, right? You're not going to be able to grab, you know, a kid that's developing in the AHL this year and put him into that position of where you need him to come in and be the sage veteran like Matt Niskanen. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to live with it this year. Is it going to be a strength? No. Um, But you hope that this is odd because this is almost the opposite of what you do with with deep pairings is you hope that the young young defensive guy that you pair him with covers up for the veteran guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Well, usually it's the other way around, you know? Um, yeah. But you hope that that's the case there, so. Jason, one of the areas, obviously, in the last few seasons that's been a bit of a bugaboo for the team has been their special teams play. Um, and this season, certainly taking a look at the numbers right now, the power play is obviously uh, hovering just outside of the top ten. I think it was a number about 11th or so coming into yesterday's mm-hmm. game. Penalty kill, which has been a major problem, has been a remarkable resurgence there. Do you see that as a combination of both the new co- the coaching staff that's in place co- combined with the personnel? What do you think is the biggest factor with regards to their resurgence in special teams so far this year? Uh, I think it's both because – look here. And I have to say both. Don't you have to say both? We've been so critical of the, of the penalty kill and Ian LaPerriere to a point where, like, they wanted to, like, you know, take a trip to Pittsburgh to take on the Penguins and throw him out the door. <laughs> you know what I mean? He, he was, like, the main culprit, right? The power play stinks. How does he still have a job? Well, the scheme is totally different now, and it's not just him. Obviously, Mike Yo's done a real good job, but the – you know, when you add one player in certain positions, sometimes it changes everything because of the trickle-down effect. And I know that Kevin Hayes hasn't put up a tremendous amount of points, and he hasn't been a point producer for the Flyers. I'll call his contract at this point an absolute success because of the fact that the penalty kill is third in the NHL. Mm-hmm. They've been so much better. Now, what they do from a strategic standpoint, you see how much more aggressive they are. They don't sit back and watch the puck anymore. When you watch the puck, that's when you get those cross-ice passes, and th- those yeah. are impossible to stop. And, and, and guys in this league can pass the puck so well. You can say get sticks in the lane. doesn't matter. When you pass the puck at 87 miles an hour and then shoot it at 110, it doesn't matter. So 
it's been it's been great, and I think Kevin Hayes has been a a huge part of that, an enormous part of that. And now you get a guy like Scott Lawton back, who, by the way, looks like uh, while he was out injured, that he found a jetpack to stick on his rear end because he looked he was flying. Mm-hmm. So when you start to get these guys back, and then you go, okay, maybe they have a little bit of depth, not only in their ability to score with secondary scoring and third and fourth line scoring, which we've seen. But now they also may have depth with the penalty kill. So that could pretend very well for this team. No doubt. All right, Mike, we, um, we're going to cross over into Leaps talk now because they are coming into Philly as well. So we'll, we'll get into a bigger subject with them. But just they had the home and home with Buffalo. I saw a very weak post from one of the Buffalo writers uh, asking for the restrictions on tickets because he didn't like hearing the Go Leafs go in his building, and I hate that. It's like my answer to that is Buffalo fans and season ticket holders, if you don't want that to happen, don't sell the tickets to the Leaf fans and buy your own team's tickets. Otherwise, it's going to happen. It's been happening to the New Jersey Devils for years. It didn't happen to them during their cup run. So that tells you sometimes the way the fan base is. They know they can make money off the Leafs. What's your take on all that? First of all, a a Sabres writer told me that the 4 p.m. Black Friday start was a mechanism by the Sabres organization to prevent Leaf fans from buying tickets because (laughs) it it wasn't a holiday weekend. Uh, in Canada because their Thanksgiving is our Columbus Day. And honestly, my, my response is, you know what, if you, don't want, if you don't want the opposition to buy tickets in your building, make your team better. Your team has missed the playoffs eight straight years, and they're one of the biggest jokes in the NHL. So that's why you know, Leaf fans buy up and gobble up these tickets from season ticket holders who are trying to make back some of the money that they've wasted on season tickets over the years. And, try, and, uh, and, and, and in the end, you know, the, the, the Sabres fans and the Sabres reporters should be happy because the Leafs come down and lose to Buffalo every single time, almost every single time anyway. So what's the, what's the difference? <laughs> right. So did that loss bother you, Mike, or are you just covering up for it? No, <laughs> no it's it just as somebody who has gone to every Leafs-Sabres game since 1980 and only in the last few years has it been uh, because, going to them as a reporter. So we're talking about hundreds and thousands of dollars uh, spent on going to see Leafs-Sabres. It would be nice if the team that you cover or the team that you rooted for as a fan would actually show up, especially when 60 to 70% of the building are fans who don't get a chance to see that team up in Toronto because the prices are too expensive. They never show up in, in Buffalo. Last year, Buffalo was particularly bad, and the Leafs won two games in Buffalo. But and it's been a little better in the Matthews era, but they just don't show up against the Sabres. And the Sabres basically treat a game against the Leafs as Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final, and then the rest of the year they end up playing like the Sabres. And we, we see plenty, just to use the Rangers as the same sort of example, the fan base in like a big metropolitan city that have a lot of money. In uh, years that the Flyers are super fantastic, there's not as many because a lot of people are keeping their tickets. But, you know, the last few years, we see plenty of Ranger fans, and I don't see the Flyers trying to restrict those sales. No, I think in terms of – and it, this has been certainly within the last – certainly within the last few years, again, with Philadelphia being inconsistently 
either they're making the playoffs, but they're getting tucked out in round one by, by the Capitals or the Penguins, um, or they're just not making the playoffs. And with the, and obviously with the surgence of the Eagles uh, of the last few years, you know, there's certain, you know, you have to be, a lot of fans are going to have to be careful with regards to the outlay of money, as Mike just indicated, hundreds of thousands of dollars that are spent on tickets every year. And, you know, when you have the opportunity to see the team and when the team's doing pretty well, you're going to, you know, you're going to see them traveling well. And I think also we see Flyers fans for the most part, you know, as well also making trips to various cities as well with a, with a pretty good contingent when they are priced out kind of with regards to the tickets uh, at regular games here. So there's certainly something to be said for that, no question. Jason, I most people in this audience know that I am a New York Mets fan and I can't tell you how many times the Phillies market to me a year to buy tickets at their stadium. What do you think about this whole process? Oh, I think I think teams don't care who shows up at the stadium as long as somebody shows up at the stadium because right. an, an empty seat is worse than a seat filled with a Met fan. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> because Met fans have money too. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's all about the dollar. So if you were to look, at, if we want to sit up there in the press box at the Wells Fargo Center and see empty seats or see seats with Ranger fans or Devils fans or you know fans of Satan, I don't know. They have money. Team <laughs> Green, they have money. They're they're welcome here. Team <laughs> right. Green. On, on a bigger subject, Mike, so yesterday on Twitter, um, Nick Alberger, who I know was tweeting from Sportsnet, and he was asking fans, or just in general, the Twitterverse, who would they like to see the, the Leafs get as a backup goalie? And I, I included Brian Boucher in the tweet and said, Brian Boucher, and then he, he responded back with, I'll start stretching. But while we know he's not, that's not going to happen, who do you want to see as the backup? Or... Are you okay holding Hutchinson in there and trying keeping the barbarians at you know at a, a bay at the gate? Well, it, Kevin McGran, who we're both friendly with, yep. posted uh, last night. Would you you know would you be in favor of re- reacquiring Garrett Sparks because? And I, <laughs> and I, and I, I'd, I'd put that the, the the one gif where it just is like no, you know because Garrett yeah. Sparks was was a sieve. Um, I was in fa- I was in favor of of giving Hutchinson a second chance because honestly the five starts that he started under Babcock it was a second of back to back this team does not seem to play well in second of back to back games uh, particularly defensively last night was a second of back to back and they flipped it and they played Anderson in the second and he had to basically be Terry Sawchuck to get them an overtime win against the the lowly Sabers so. They they need I, I, Hutchinson was bad against Buffalo in Buffalo on Friday. He, he I think he gave up a couple goals that he would like to have back. And really they're o six and one, so that's one of a possible fourteen points. And I went back in the last fifteen starts with Sparks, Hutchinson, and Casimir Cascasuo. They've only earned five of a possible thirty points in the second half of last year and this part of this year. You know they're they're basically a 500 team or a little bit over. You need your backup goaltender to get you points. That's one of the things that the Flyers are benefiting from the the tandem of of Hart and Elliott. They they need to go out and get a backup. 
and not somebody who will plug a hole like Calvin Pickard, who I mentioned earlier, but somebody like a Jack Campbell or maybe one of the backups that Pittsburgh has, either DeSmith or Jari. And that may cost you more, but honestly, the points that they're bleeding out of their backup goaltender, the points that they're losing, it's going to cost them a playoff spot if they don't rectify it pretty soon. And who who would be on your short list for uh, for the Leafs for a backup goalie spot? You know, interestingly enough, before he was dealt uh, to Detroit, I would have suggested Eric Comrie. Mm-hmm. Um, he was one of the I, – I thought he would have been a really ideal setup there in terms of – for goaltenders. Now I'm not quite as, as sure in regards to candidates potentially who might have the opportunity there. You might look at maybe a potential veteran – who maybe is kind of falling out a little bit and is looking just for an opportunity maybe to jump on. Again, it's kind of funny you mentioned the, you know, Brian Boucher angle and thing. It might be that kind of a goaltender who they're looking to have behind Freddie who's yeah. who could come in and sort of be, a, be and just be a steadying influence uh, in those games where, and, where they don't have to work Anderson. Who that candidate is, I'm not sure, but I'm sure that, that's something that uh, Dubas is trying certainly to figure out. Jason, are they going to? I was going to ask Jason, are they going to call Tim Thomas out of the foxhole? What, what do you think? I'm sure he'll mix great there in that media market. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I agree with uh, with Tim and Mike. Comrie would have been a very good option for them. Louis Deming before New Jersey made the move they made would have been a very good option for me. They have screwed up this goaltending situation in Toronto so badly the last couple of years. And I'm not sure, what was that number that you rolled out, like 0-8-1 in their back-to-backs? That's not just bad. That is, that's almost, like, that's stunning to me that you can be a good hockey team and be that bad in back-to-backs because you have to be better than that. I mean, maybe maybe you try to go to like a Detroit and grab a Bernier something, but you can't go that Garrett. Isn't Garrett Sparks tied up like Buffalo Bill has his dog in that hole in Silence of the Lambs <laughs> in Mike Babcock's basement right now? You know, like you can't go back into like those areas. You had McElhaney, you screwed that up. I mean, they got to get it right because you will go nowhere, nowhere the in this league with zero backup. I mean, well, look at a team like Winnipeg. They find Brassois, and he's good in that role. Anders Nilsson was the guy that could have fit the bill. There was tons of guys out there, but they can't get it right. And this is Kyle Dubas's biggest blind spot. It, well, it's of his making, Jason. I mean, they, he, yep. he uh, kept – he waived McElhaney and kept Sparks because Sparks had won a Calder Cup for him with the Marlies and because McElhaney was Babcock's chosen guy. So he was, I, I, I believe it was to show Babcock who was boss, and it was to the detriment of, of his own team. Now the thing is, they're under salary restrictions because they're right up against the cap, so they can't afford a th- like a $3 million Bernier or, or nope. a, a, a backup goaltender making a couple million bucks. That's why I threw out Campbell, because Campbell this year is making $675,000, and the, the Kings have Cal Peterson and Quick, so they could probably afford to, uh, to trade a Campbell. But the thing is, it's going to cost them 
you know, a, a decent piece. I mean, uh, who is it? Yuri Sayarvi is, is, uh, is somebody who I think is disposable. And if, to get an Eric Comrie, it probably would have been an upgrade over Hutchinson. It's going to cost you – you know, a significant prospect to get a mm-hmm. Jack Campbell from L.A. And, oh, yeah. And, but, but the thing is, they need to get that backup goaltender now because they continue to bleed points. Yeah, and, and you're, and you're absolutely right. And everybody knows that they need it. So there's your price being driven up even further. I, I thought, sure. but in all seriousness, I would go to them in Pittsburgh, and I would try and get either a Tristan Jari or a Casey DeSmith. That, that's they have a situation there that you can exploit. You're still going to have to give up something because they know you need it, but that's your only option at this point. Nope, that's fair. Jason, we're going to go back to you on this because you haven't had a chance to probably really discuss it, but what did you think of the Mike Babcock situation and then uh, Bill Peters after that? Um, I think it's about time. Um, As somebody who kind of has been in this game since since I started playing it in the mid-'70s, for goodness sake, and, you know, there's everybody has seen coaches at all levels with different, you know, coaching styles. And, and I get that Mike Babcock drove guys very hard. And, and, look, I think there's a place for coaches that drive guys and choose to drive teams very hard. But when you're doing some of the things that he was doing, clearly the Mitch Barner incident, asking yeah. him to make a list as a rookie – and submit that list, and then sharing that list, um, to me, that is so far over the line. But then when, you you know, the, the Babcock thing eventually pivots into the Bill Peters situation, and look, I, I really respect Calgary for the, which, the way they handled it, because they, you know, in this world of um, everybody's offended, and I always have the saying, just because you're offended doesn't mean you're right. Mm-hmm. So, in this case, it, what it was true, and but but Calgary just didn't react for a bloodthirst that usually happens. They took their time, and they did an investigation, and eventually Bill Peters resigned. But I think what we all know, and what everybody in the sport agrees with, is that kind of what, what Bill Peters was a part of with the racism and saying the things that he said to a teammate for listening to rap music and all that is completely unacceptable. The other situation with him getting physical with players on the bench. Unfortunately, I think if you played the game in any period of time, you've seen things like that hope happen, whether it's on the bench or in practice or whatever it is. And it, it's, that's evolution. That just can't happen anymore. You can't have a coach, you know, getting physical with players. Now the amazing thing is, and, but you know, you I'm know, going to stop you there too. Cause it's like, I don't get why that happens. And it's a, and that's a coaching tool. I was saying to someone the other day, if that's your coaching tool, you, you know, you're a lousy coach. And apparently, and, and look, like Anthony has kids. I don't have kids. But if I saw a coach doing that to my kid, wow, would we have a problem? Uh, well, you would think, I, Russ, too, that the like at the NHL level where this was happening on the Carolina Hurricanes bench, yeah. if I was a player in the NHL and he did that, I probably would kick the living you-know-what out of him myself. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be going, Bill, have you looked in the mirror lately, bud? I'm a pro athlete. You're not. And I would probably slam the dude. I'm surprised that somebody didn't, you know, go off on yeah. him. But look, I mean, I Anthony had coaches that it's hard to respect because of their physical appearance. I, 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 think, it, I think it's a case where it, it, it's 
in terms of like being a bullying tactic, it's also, you notice the players who were targeted. These were guys that, you know, had mm-hmm. a lot to lose. These were not veteran players. These were young players, right. Michael Jordan, Akeem Elio, all guys yeah. that if they don't keep the coach happy, they're going, they, they have everything to lose. So for those yeah. people who are out there and yep. questioning why they're doing this, that's the reason why. It's pure power. They can do it to the they, – those coaches feel like they can do it to those guys. You wouldn't have seen them doing it to any one of the any one of the veteran players on that team. You wouldn't have done that to a Jordan Stahl. You wouldn't have done that uh, to any you know to any of those uh, veteran players on the team because you knew exactly as Jason described, you knew exactly what was going to happen if that occurred. And and I oh, yeah. okay, Mike. Yeah. And ironically, the only one of the players that was sort of targeted by these coaches who you could consider a star, and he wasn't a star at that point because he was a rookie, was Marner. And I think that was a product of the fact that Babcock could do whatever he wanted because he had that eight-year contract, a $50 million contract, and he had the, the reputation, and he could go in and do what he wanted. And the veteran players who Marner singled out as being the laziest, they were the ones that had the problem and went to Babcock and said, that's bull crap that you did right. that to a rookie. So, I mean, honestly, it's, a, it's sort of an abuse of power, but what I think we have to be concerned at, and first of all, one, with the one thing with the Francis and Carmanos thing, with the sort of he said, she said type of stuff that's going to probably come, come out with other situations going down the line. But what we have to be concerned about is sort of the going too far where, you know, coaches who may not be doing anything untoward, guys like Tortorella, <laughs> And Daryl Sutter, their names have been put out there by other players. And how do we know that they're as bad as Peters and Babcock? This is going to be sort of a, a thing where you're going to ha- we're going to have to go through each situation to find out whether this is just somebody with a grudge or there was some sort of abuse going on. All right, so last quick subject The Me Too Witch here. Hunt Now. Huh? It's the Me Too Witch Hunt Now. Exactly. Yeah, well... It's, you know, it's hit the NHL, and, but I, I think it's, it's necessary at this point. All right, last thing. So I'll start with this because on the Stick to Hockey podcast, we had talked about coaches maybe that would get fired or be on the hot seat. And, uh, Jace, I'll even tell you that some Blackhawks fans are now calling for Jeremy Colleton, but he's got a little more rope. The guy who doesn't have any more rope is John Hines. Yesterday's Ranger game, my God, they, they gave the, the, the Devils at home gave up two shorthanded goals. They lost a fight. They, special teams were awful. At the end of the game, Taylor Hall basically said, this is all inexcusable. It shouldn't happen. That's your story. That's your headline. So, you know, all of a sudden Taylor Hall is the headline writer coming off the heels of him saying, hey, bring all your inquiries to the Devils or my agent. I don't want to talk about getting traded anymore which isn't surprising. I, I think we talked about it two months ago. But at the end of the day, Jace, will John Hines have a job on Monday? I think they're going to do the Sunday dump and fire him sometime today, like later in the afternoon. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think they're going to move on from him and try and move things in a different direction uh, as quickly as they can so they can know if they're going to turn things around and try and help their Taylor Hall situation. Right. Because the longer they wait, then the more time they're wasting. And if if they can't trade him, they are not going to go into a situation like the Islanders did in Tavares. They're going to trade him. Um, right. He, first of all, and I don't care who they hire there. That roster is so flawed. Uh, uh, P.K. Subban, I don't know. I think they left P.K. Subban in Nashville. They just sent his body 
to New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, Wayne Simmons was totally shot, which we already knew. Um, yeah. And look, look, they have some good young pieces, and Hughes obviously is a huge part of that. But you look at the situation there, uh, you know, one of my big concerns was goaltending. They had to send Corey Schneider back after he had a really good world championships last year, and it looked like the hip was better. Um, you know, from I was listening to somebody the other day, and they're saying Corey Corey Schneider basically masked how bad they were defensively for a few years with how good he was, and when that wore off, now you see the Devils, you know, that are really there. Um, is it Hines' fault? I don't think so. I think he's got a really flawed roster, uh, but that never saved any other coach before. So why would it save no, him? That's true. All right, Ant. Yeah, they got a lot of work. Yeah. They got it. Yay or nay? I think yeah. I think he, we're it's, it's quietly during an NFL while everybody's focused in on NFL football. That sounds like a, a move that the Devils could potentially make. Yes, Mike. Yeah, I think it's going to be a yay. But if you would have told me that Mike Babcock was going to be the first coach fired, <laughs> I would have you know, and I would have yeah. bet that I would have won a thousand bucks on a one dollar bet. I, but the funny thing is, it could be Hines, and you could see guys like Laviolette. Uh, you know, Boudreaux, and you know, if there are, if there are pitchforks being carried by a number of people on a street in Montreal, Claude Julian is going to have a, a chill down his spine. Yeah, I think he's still safe, though, Mike. And if you'd have won that bet, it would have been a thousand Canadians, so it wouldn't have been as good. Anyhow, that's it for <laughs> off the post. We'll catch everybody next time. Take care, everybody. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.